0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments that overcoming all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual life, understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your all holy, gracious, and life being spirit, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back, everybody, coming in here for our 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time in these Sundays following the great Feast of the Holy Cross, in which we continue our journey and our Lukean narrative up to Jerusalem. We're still on our way.
1: We're still on our
0: way. You know, it's pretty exciting, Andy. I was flipping through Luke. I was like, we're only a couple chapters out. I mean, he's almost there. (laughs) (laughs)
1: it is actually it's really amazing when when you do like start going through it week by week and and you're following along with like and you're like oh my gosh this really did take forever
0: (laughs) Uh, it probably
1: went by like a flash for the apostles though i mean you think about it
0: yes yes but let's jump into it right here let's jump into it pastors starting in exodus let's go
1: Yep, get out your notebooks and get out your Bibles and get ready to read along with us. We are in Exodus chapter 17 for the first reading, Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 121. The gospel this weekend is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And the epistle is from the second letter to Timothy from Saint Paul. We start in chapter three, verse fourteen, and go through chapter four, verse two.
0: Nice. Get out your Bibles, guys. If you're listening to this on your earbuds while you're running down the road, you know, I mean, that's fine. Read
1: the Bible it's on good. your yeah, you Apple did. Watch.
0: No, that's no? not. Familiar. No. You don't like that? No. Get out your Bibles. Let's do a Bible study here. We're in Exodus chapter 17, starting with verse eight. Let's open it up. Here we go. Here we go. Exodus. In, what did I just say? 17. 17. Come on. I got to turn there myself.
1: Let me know when you're there. Go ahead,
0: Annie.
1: All right. Good. You know where Exodus is.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's in the New Testament.
1: Eh, nope. The
0: old. Oh, okay. Here we go. Story. I got it now. Got it. Chapter okay, 17, good. verse eight.
1: <laughs> All right. Here we go. In those days, Amalek came and waged war against Israel. Moses, therefore, said to Joshua, pick out certain men and tomorrow go out and engage Amalek in battle. I will be standing on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. He engaged Amalek in battle after Moses had climbed to the top of the hill with Aaron and Hur. As long as Moses kept his hands raised up, Israel had the better of the fight, but when he let his hands rest, Amalek had the, Amalek had the better of the fight. Moses' hands, however, grew tired, so they put a rock in place for him to sit on. Meanwhile, Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword.
0: That's old timey Bible talk. Mowed Mowed
1: down down Amalek. That's some righteous. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So father, who in the heck is Amalek? (laughs) you like that good point right?
0: yeah and
1: why is he waging war with Israel
0: well uh, he's he's one of these guys you know they're, they're, there's all these nomadic tribes that are out there in the in the uh Sinai Desert okay we, they're gonna run into Israel's gonna run into these guys over and over again and this is the first of many battles they're gonna face We have to understand from a timing standpoint where we're at. I think that's actually maybe more important than who Amalek is exactly, Mm, although Amalek is going to come up again and again. The Amalekites are going to come up again and again. By the way, it's not the Melchites; it's the Amalekites. Amalekites. Well, that's good
1: to know. The
0: Amalekites. (laughs) You
1: didn't descend from these folks?
0: We did not descend. No, no, no. Um, and, uh, um, but, uh, but anyways, the, 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 we're going to run to all these guys are out there waging war and Amalek in, in particular is going to get a bad name in the, in the kind of annals of Israel's history becomes this icon of, of, uh, trying to stop God's people from coming to the Lord, Mm -hmm. much like Pharaoh. Okay, sure. but Amalek's are the next big guy because if you've, you've got your Bible open there to Exodus chapter 17, mm-hmm. um, you just got to flip back. I mean, what? One, two pages, right? Look at chapter 15 is Moses' hymn at the crossing of the Red Sea. So you're just, you're talking about right there. They've come through the Red Sea. They just had this amazing experience going through the Red Sea. They come down on the dry ground and then of course uh the first thing they do is give thanks to god no not really the first thing they do is complain right because um they're hungry yeah so you see in chapter 16 verses one through three they murmured in uh verse uh seven again they're murmuring and they're murmuring they keep murmuring throughout all of this chapter god gives them of murmuring M- manna and, and the quail and so forth. And again, they're murmuring at the chapter 17, verse um, uh, three, the people murmured against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our, ch- kill us and our children? And our ch-? You know, we think about this, at least I do, as what's going on during the 40 years of wandering, but this isn't the 40 years of wandering, okay? Look at <laughs> chapter 19, verse one. Chapter 19, verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They camped in the, there, there, and then the Israel camped before the mountain. There's Mount Sinai. Well, three three new moons like three months, right? Three months, yeah. You're talking from the Exodus Right, and there, and remember, remember, Pharaoh comes down, they and, and then and he's charging at him with all of the Egyptian forces. Like, I always say that about the Babylonians, the greatest army the world ever had ever known. But here in this case, centuries before, this is the greatest army that the you know, mankind sure. ever known. Pharaoh and the Egyptians come down. And Israel's going to die. Moses strikes the sea and parts it and a cross. Then Pharaoh and all the enemies of God get drowned in it. And then Moses comes out singing in chapter 15, which is awesome. Yeah. Right. And he says, and he says, why do the waters part? Look at chapter 15, verse eight, because of the breath of God, God blew his 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 Holy yeah. Spirit down upon the waters and parted the waters, just like uh, the fathers tell us that the waters of the Red Sea or the waters of the of the of the flood uh, receded at the time of um, of the flood, or just as the as the waters receded and the ground dry appeared at the time of creation. So similarly, here there's a, a sen- uh, this kind of motif or sense of a new creation going on. Moses comes out singing, the people come out murmuring, okay? And then God <laughs> provides for them. And so and so, there you are. Your simple question, I don't know what I was saying there, but your simple question was, who's Amalek? And he's this guy wandering around in there during this time from which they've left Egypt, but they haven't gotten to Sinai yet. It's not that far, it's not that long of a time, but there's some cr- critical struggles that the people face in yearning for what they had in Egypt. You say, well, what did they have in Egypt? Well, they had slavery right and they had food and water at least something now they come out and they don't trust in god there's a lack of faith that the lord's going to provide to this time of difficulty this is super important and that's why i'm making a big deal out of this because as we're looking to the gospel the apostles are going to face a similar progression to mount to the mountain of jerusalem as they're making their way up to jerusalem so israel's making its way up to mount sinai but in between those two points there's a lot of doubt going on. Is the Lord going to provide? And is only those that have faith in him who are going to survive? And I, I just got to drive the point home a little bit more by turning to the New Testament. If you keep your hand in Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to turn very quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12. Are you there, Annie? I am here. Okay, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For by one body we're all baptized. No, that, that's not the passage I wanted to read to you. First Corinthians chapter ten. There you go. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Here's where we're gonna be. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Annie, are you there? First Corinthians I chapter ten, verse one. Here we go. I want you to know, brethren. Go ahead, read it for us, Annie. I want
1: you to know, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same supernatural food, and all drank the same supernatural drink, for they drank from the supernatural rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ.
0: Okay, so. We're, we we just encountered this rock here in Exodus chapter seventeen. It's very. Can I do a little side? I'm going to do a little side. I'm gonna give you guys this. I'm not gonna charge you for it, okay? Because this is this is heavy duty patristic theology and scriptural insight exegesis. Ready for this? Notice yeah. what Saint Paul says: the rock which followed, followed them. them. There was a Jewish tradition. It said that the rock which Moses struck here, followed them through the desert to all their wanderings in the desert. Yes. And that that rock was the same rock upon which Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. Yes. Really? The spindle stone. Yes. And he called the rock, the the Eben Shetiyah, the rock of drinking. Okay, now you say, well, how is it possible a rock followed them through the desert? Look, from a Jewish uh, 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 or a patristic standpoint, a, the, the, the scriptures are more than what first meets the eye. And St. Paul reveals this tradition to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? There's a rock which followed them. Why does it follow Because the rock is Christ. So whether the rock is there or it's there or it's over there, it's the same reality, which is God's saving action by which he... enters into creation and transforms it into what it's meant to be. And that is a vehicle, but to transmit his life, yeah, to be transformed into his image and likeness, the one who has poured out his life for, for us. Then these things then become transfigured in him, that they might do what he does. This is what the Eucharist does on the altar. There's a reason for that. Because this is what we believe about the saving action of God. The takes creation transforms it so that the things of creation become bearers of the divine nature, bearers of divine life, that we might encounter the Lord there. And Moses and St. Paul picks up this tradition here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's a complete side note, but super cool stuff. Super cool. You never heard that before, did you, Annie? No. So, but there no. Is.
1: And uh, I mean, the story that we're reading today, it comes right after the water coming from the rock.
0: Exactly. Yeah so yeah. so they come out they're in this time period and this all happens and now bam the amalekites attack attack and the question is is the lord with his people or not right this is the question yeah. that comes out at the bottom of this thing at the bottom of this story right here they were just reading right moses look i'm going up to verse like two mm-hmm. chapter exodus chapter 17 verse two acts Exodus 72. Therefore, the people found fault with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you find fault with me? Why do you put the Lord to the proof? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses, why did you bring us up out of the land of Egypt to kill us and his children and our cattle? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with the people? And they are all, Almost ready to stone me, and the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders and da, 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 the, the rod and uh, that struck the Nile, and go and behold, I will stand before you there in the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and that uh, that the people may drink. So the rock becomes an icon of Christ or a foreshadowing of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders, of Israel, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the fault. Fault finding of the children of Israel, and because they put the Lord to the proof by saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Here's the question. This is going to come up in the Gospel, by the way, in a passage that we skip in between last week's Gospel and this Gospel. We're here at the ICC. We don't skip much, so we're going to go back and look at it. But is the Lord among us or not? That's the question they're asking. Are they going to have faith in the Lord or not? Notice also a slight side note, but to tie all this together back to first Corinthians chapter 10, they were baptizing into Moses. What? I thought baptism was a Christian thing. What are they talking about? Baptizing to Moses. To be baptized means to be plunged into. Baptized in Greek, to be plunged into. To be made one with. Yeah. I want you to imagine for a moment now, because this becomes an, an image of a, a, an icon of our baptism. What does it mean for the Israeli baptizing to Moses at that moment as they stood on the edge of the of the, of the the Red Sea? Well, think about it. I've talked about this before, about the perspective of God's people looking across the walls of the water across that sea, which would have, which would, you know, I don't know what you call it. When the visually would have, the walls would have come together, mm-hmm. right? They wouldn't have seen yeah. the end. It's not like they'd have seen the open straight thing with the land over there. No, like this, as it crosses this long distance. They literally had to entrust themselves to Moses because they have death behind them, Pharaoh, and death in front of them, the sea. And he says, walk into death. And they did. And in that moment, they plunged themselves into Moses. It was his mind, his vision, his plan that they accepted as their own. Yeah. Yeah. In total faith of the giving of themselves to Moses, they walk into that place. And this is the faith which, is, which the church tells us is required by us in holy baptism. To entrust ourselves fully to Christ, to die to our old self, to Egypt, that we might come to the newness of life in God. Yeah, and this is, this is the background of this whole story now. When they ask themselves, is the Lord with us? Is he? My God, they, look what he just did. Yeah. Are you blind? Do you you know what the Lord's done in your baptism and yet you doubt the presence in your life? He's freed you from original sin. He's given you the possibility of a newness of life. He's offered you the gift of resurrection. He's poured his life into you. He's offered you forgiveness of your sins. He's fed you with not only manna, but he's fed you with with the divine manna in the Holy Eucharist. And you ask the question, is the Lord with us? Is he going to take care of me in the times of difficulty when I'm thirsty and I'm hungry and I think I'm going to die? He's going to take care of you. Yeah. And here comes the story and the answer to this question is the Lord with us. And now come the Amalekites and this battle that takes place. Okay. There's my response to who is Amalek.
1: (laughs) Okay. Now my next question is probably the one that everybody else has on their minds, which is, okay. Why would it be that Israel's fate is contingent on whether Moses keeps his hands in the air. I mean, this kind of reminds me of like the like baseball players. They're terrible about this, like the superstitions, like I have to wear this certain underwear or we're gonna lose. <laughs> or if I, I mean, my husband talks about, you know, when he, you know, if I wear any bangles gear without a doubt, they end up losing, you know? So he doesn't wear any bangles gear on yeah. Sundays. Um, I mean, he goes to church too, so he doesn't wear Bengals gear anyway, but you know, like there, I don't want to get you started. Sorry. I shouldn't have even Uh, done it. I shouldn't have even done it, but you get what I mean. I mean, it just, it, it, it almost feels like this superstition, like Moses has to have his hands in the air or else we're going to lose. So what's going on here?
0: Okay. Well, number one, uh, most important is to understand the intercessory power that mankind has
1: Mm.
0: just as the, as the dead rock that Moses struck was able to give life. So man is designed by God is is called by God to be in his image and after his likeness, to do what God does. It is God who saves, right? Mm-hmm. It is the by the power of the Lord that that Moses this ragtag group coming out, think about it. I mean, they're these guys are hungry right and and some of them in fact there's a little insight here that we've got from the book of of deuteronomy i wrote it down here but then i turned my page the book of deuteronomy by the way i'm going to give you a nice little resource if you want to get into into the into the exodus called bound for freedom the book of exodus in jewish and christian tradition by goren larson L-A-R-S-S-O-N. Nice little book. I've held on to this for a number of years from my college days. And uh, it's good to go back to it and and refer to it on occasion and uh, see what this guy has to say. So if you want to dive in, you want a commentary on the book of Exodus, I do recommend it to you. So anyways, we can turn and get a little more insight from Deuteronomy chapter 25 into this moment. Deuteronomy 25. There it is. I wrote it down in the edge of my Bible very good practice, by the way, you've got, they should have made it bigger, so you can put more stuff, but on the little edge of your Bible, you can take a pen, you write down little references to yourself, so as you're reading this, like, you know, 40 years from now, you'd be like, oh, that's right, oh, yeah, it's, this story is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 25, remember, Deuteronomy is literally the second law,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's and it tells the story of what God has done for his people, because now they're in the plains of Moab, about to cross the Jordan River, after the 40 years of wandering, and Moses is like, Remember what God did for you, you people, okay? And then, so here we are in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 25, and it's in verse 7. It's not verse 7. 17. 17, thank you. See, Annie, how'd you know that?
1: Well, because I was looking down at Deuteronomy 25 and... Saw the name Amalek in verse right. 17. That's read all. <laughs> read it for us. I can't Amy. take any more credit other than that.
0: Okay, read it for us. Let's go all insight right. into what's going on in this story.
1: So I assume this is Moses talking here. Yes. Yes. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off at your rear all who lagged behind you. And he did not fear God.
0: Oh, so now we know a little bit more about Amalek and what happened. The people are weak. They're struggling, you know, and they're falling behind the elderly and things like that. So what does Amalek do? Is, he, is this a frontal attack war? Does he come up like an honest, honest engine and he's be like.
1: picking them off from the back.
0: He's picking them off from the back and he comes up and, wow. he, and, he, and, he, uh, and he attacks them, ambushes them. Like an
1: animal- it's like there's yeah. the animals that go after the weakest link
0: exactly Same kind so, of thing exactly so this yeah. is this gives a little bit more of the story wow. but this is not answering your question going back to what you said about why does god wh- why what's this whole business about moses and yeah. for our protestant brothers and sisters listening listen because god uses us for the salvation of mankind why because we are made in his image after his likeness so many so many say oh but I just pray straight to Jesus. Uh, You don't go to confession to a priest. Come on. I don't need a priest to give me the Eucharist. I go out and wander in the, you know, receive communion from my oak tree. You know, you don't (laughs) receive communion from your oak tree, much less your television set. No, from the hand of a priest. Why? Because we were baptized into Christ. We're made one with him so that we might do what he has done. And I oftentimes say this. God loves us too much to save us without us. Moses, uh, God loved Moses and Israel too much to save Israel without them. So he uses members of God's people to be instruments of his grace. And in this case, he uses Moses and Joshua. You know, Joshua, it's not me making this up, by the way, the fathers of the church comment all the time on this. And I think I've got, I think I got the fathers over here on the same point. Yeshua. Sure? Yeah. Uh, Yahweh yeah. saves, is the name given to somebody else that we know. Jesus, Jesus is is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, Joshua, right? This is very important because Joshua is going to lead people through, lead his, lead God's people through the Jordan River, just like Jesus is going to lead us through the waters of baptism. Yeah, he's going to be at the front of the army, leading God's people, yeah, into battle against our adversary and Amalek becomes biblically not only Amalek, but he becomes this kind of incarnation of evil in the life of God's people. It's not the only time he's going to, going to, going to show up, but as we're going to see in uh, verse 14, his memory is to be utterly wiped out. And, and, but then, so we've got, we have, we have Jesus leading the army against the enemy of God. And we have Moses holding his hands up and winning a battle against the enemy in the form of a cross. the cross listen wow. to what the fathers of the church say about this beautiful moment saint justin martyr says in truth it was not because moses prayed that his people were victorious but because while the name of jesus was at the front of the of the at the battlefront moses formed the sign of the cross so these two wow. guys together jesus joshua and moses in the form of the cross who among you does not know that that prayer is the most pleasing to God, which is uttered with lamentation and tears. He goes on, besides the, fa- the, the, the fact that the prophet Moses remained until evening in the form of the cross when his hands were held up by Aaron and her happened in the likeness of this sign. For the Lord also remained on the cross until evening when he was buried. Then he rose on the, from the dead on the third day. St. John Chrysostom. See how the type was given through Moses, but the truth came through Jesus Christ. And again, on Mount Sinai, when the Amalekites were waging war in the Hebrews, the hands of Moses were propped up by Aaron and her standing on either side. But Christ, when he came himself, held his hands extended on the cross by his own power. Do you see how the type was given and the truth came? Okay, Mm -hmm. how beautiful the fathers of the church go, you know, use this just like you say, well, that's that's a little much. Right. I mean, maybe they're making stuff up. He's in the form of the cross. Well, isn't that what St. Paul says about the rock? Yeah. The rock was Jesus. Yeah. The rock becomes a type of a prefigurement of what of the Eucharist. Yeah. yeah. And, and so Moses becomes a type of a prefigurement of the cross to which Jesus Incredible. is now journeying the gospel of Luke. I'm not I'm not done yet. Watch this. I'm going to pull out for you some. Whoa. Goods from, our, from our choir stand. Uh, here at the church in the Melkite tradition. So we're talking about the Amalekites. (laughs) (laughs) No, again, we're not talking about the Melkites, We're talking about the Amalekites. But in the Byzantine tradition, during this season, we have been chanting during morning prayer, a beautiful hymn. And the hymn follows very much in line with what I'm what the fathers of the church are saying about this battle, about Moses in the form of the cross, about Jesus leading the battle, about Saint what Saint Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 about the rock. listen, listen to this. Moses struck the Red Sea with his staff hmm. so that Israel could cross on foot. When he brought the staff down, the waters covered Pharaoh and his chariots. Thus, Moses prefigured the power of this invincible weapon, uh, the sign of the cross. What so What is he saying? When Moses hit the sea, he tore it open, broke wow. it open. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or you say this way, right? Sliced it open this way. I should have said that, right? Yeah. And then he closed it up on the other side and barrowed Pharaoh by oh, the sign wow. of the cross. Let us sing to Christ our God who has been glorified. The rod of Aaron is the image of, this, of, of the mystery. For by its budding it foretold the priest, and now the cross has blossomed in majesty and and confirmation in the formerly barren church. That's the the Old Testament church, right? The mystery of thy dispensation I have heard, O Lord, and I have understood thy work, so I glorify thy Godhead. O thrice-blessed tree, on which Christ our King and Lord was crucified, through which the one who deceived Eve by a tree Has been caught by God, who in the flesh was nailed on thee, granting peace to our souls. So there's a connection between the cross and the tree, right? In in the garden. When Jonah, this is my favorite. When Jonah crossed his hands in the belly of the whale, he prefigured thy saving passion. When he came out of it after three days, he heralded the resurrection of Christ our God who was crucified in the flesh and lightened the world by his resurrection on the third day. Okay, I mean, wow. There it is. Lex aronde, lex credende. What we pray, we believe. You say, where does it say that he crossed his hands in the sign of the cross, in the belly of the whale? Well, it doesn't say that in scripture. Now I'm going to, my Protestant person is going to be like, see, I told you so. Now listen to this. It's the church which wrote the Bible. It's the church which understands what she wrote. And it's the church which has insights beyond the letter of the the words written on the page to the actual event because she holds the memory in her head. Yes. And then proclaims the biblical exegesis of what really happened in the midst of her liturgy. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no contradiction, whatever, whatever goes to be, well, just tradition versus scripture. It's all one. Yes. Jonah crosses hands in the belly of the whale, prefiguring the passion, the cross of Christ. Yeah. And after three days, he came out of the whale just as Christ was to come out of the tomb. Isn't that beautiful stuff? This is, I mean, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome stuff. Anyways, I'll finish with that. On my, my cool liturgical um, excitement. I
1: love it. And uh, love we it. get
0: to chant that every Sunday in the church during this time. I do. It is truly beautiful. So now the church places before us he's this image of Amalek. And the question of the faithful who are struggling, they're weary, they're tired, they're getting picked off. You know, you're getting picked off all over the place. The weak among us. We're being ambushed by the evil one. And then the question is: Is the Lord really with us or not? Yeah. And now, through the intercession of Moses, just as through the intercession of the saints, the intercession of the priests, the intercession of one another, God is going to reveal Himself and His victory for all of us. And ultimately, the question you're going to ask as we're going to head in the Gospel is going to be: Is He among us? Does He hear our prayers or not? And that's the scene and the question that 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 the church kind of paints for us, then Moses paints for us writing the story down. question is, is the Lord with us? Is he going to be victorious in our time of difficulty in our time of need?
1: Yeah. Just to look at our responsorial Psalm, I mean, I thought this was a, speaking of chanting. Um, uh, I think a beautiful Psalm that was chosen to be paired with our first reading because it starts off from Psalm 121 i lift my eyes toward the mountains whence shall help come to me my help is from the lord who made heaven and earth i mean you almost feel like joshua could have been singing that from the bottom of the mountain as he mowed down amalek
0: well i would tell you i mean he wasn't because this was written by david, david right however However, there's another reason why this is given to us. If you open up, are you using RSV, Annie? Or what do you got over yeah, there? I have an RSV. Okay, and, and probably in your New Americans the same way. You'll notice at the top of there, they've added a little indication, the Psalm of Ascent. Do you see that in Psalm 121? Oh, yeah, yeah. A Song of Ascent. What is a Psalm or a Song of Ascent? These are the Psalms which are written while God's people went up to the temple. They memorized these Psalms and they chanted them on their way up the mountain toward Jerusalem. I love this because though we don't walk into Jerusalem anymore from Jordan Valley- You drive on a bus. We do take a bus and we chant these ICC as we go up in pilgrimage, as we make our ascent to Jerusalem, we chant the Psalms of Ascent in the bus. And it's pretty awesome. I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth and uh, and and there's the there's the the most important thing, right? All of this we see, all of it is made by the Lord. So is the Lord among us? He is absolutely among us, for He is everywhere. It only awaits those who will place their trust in Him. Israel struggled with that at that moment, and these are the psalms that the apostles of Christ would have been singing as they were making their way to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. So, how beautiful wow. it is now that we can take the story of Amalek, Moses, and the struggle going on, and then we can move into the gospel loop with these psalms. And so I oftentimes say these are supposed to be sung in our church. That's called a song, and songs are sung. So when you know, unfortunately, in many of our churches, our help is in the name of the Lord who made it in heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and, and earth. I heaven lift and up earth. my if eyes. I can oh even Lord. remember it. <laughs> yeah, no when you're at home and you're preparing to go to church on sunday you'd be chanting these psalms how do you chant it you can do recto tono our help is from the lord who made heaven and earth i lift up my eyes toward the mountains whence shall help come to me my help from the lord who made heaven and earth may he not suffer your foot to slip may he may may he slumber not who guards you indeed he neither slumbers nor sleeps the guardian of israel the lord is your guardian the lord is your shade. He is beside you at your right hand. The sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will guard you from all evil. He will guard your life. The Lord will guard your coming and your going both now and forever. Okay. And chant the Psalms. Very beautiful. I don't have much of a voice, but still. It sounded pretty good. Music is a very beautiful gift, and we should be chanting yeah. these beautiful things and singing to the Lord. All right, Annie. Especially we're look at kids that. Absolutely. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Am I allowed a little, a little divergence there on your comment? We should teach the kids that. And brothers and sisters, Socrates says that music has the ability to dive to the deepest soul, soul, part of the soul, the fastest and adhere there. Yeah. More, more pieces is more powerful than anything else. Song music. It's true, right? You you hear music playing immediately. your, Your body starts moving to the beat and so forth. It dies there and it grabs hold of it. How much money we poured in our Catholic schools that are sending our kids to college at Catholic colleges? More powerful than all of that is music. Hmm. Sing you're the faith to your children and then have them learn to sing the faith. And you will place in their heart a deep-seated, a or grab hold and adhere there, and it won't let go. And In times of struggle, times of difficulty, the children will return back to those, those beautiful moments. This is what Cardinal, uh Ronald Knox, not Cardinal, Father Ronald Knox said about the Psalms of David. He says, they are the nursery rhymes of the church upon which she falls back in times of difficulty. And let them be songs to your children so that when those times of difficulty in life come, they return back to these. This is their home. This is the atmosphere in which they are raised. This is their memory of safety here in the Psalms in which we entrust ourselves to the Lord. That was my hobby horse. Let's go to Luke chapter 18.
1: 18. Well, you gave people enough time to to flip over in their Bibles for it. So we're starting in verse one here. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said... There was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being. And a widow in that town used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me against my adversary. For a long time, the judge was unwilling. But eventually, he thought, While it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her, lest she finally come and strike me. The Lord said, pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily, but when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? The gospel of the Lord. <laughs> okay. So I love when it ends with a question, you know, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, something that I want to talk about here, but. First, just to kind of get context here, you mentioned earlier in the conversation, Father, that we do skip over a section. So Mm -hmm. last week in the Gospel for Mass, we were we were reading about the the cleansing of of the 10 lepers. And then we skip a passage at the end of Luke 17 to get to the one that we're reading for today, so can you talk about that first?
0: Sure. If we 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 finished with Luke 17 verse 19 and the healing of the leper. The last phrase we heard was, "Your faith has made you well," right? And now we're into chapter 17 verse 20. But you're right; we skip we skip all this, the rest of the chapter, and we can just look at it in two pieces, from 20 through 21, and then 22 and following. Okay.
1: hmm
0: From 20 to 21, I love it because. The, I keep saying all the people standing around, right? And so we begin to, by sometimes we dislocate the gospel from that. And so, and, and we don't allow even what's in the, on the pages to help us because we cut things short. And here's a good example of that. We've been reading the story of the 10 lepers and the one that returned, but what's, what's, who's watching all this happen? Well, the Pharisees are watching and Jesus's disciples are watching. All the people are kind of in the middle. They're traveling with him. The crowds are watching. They saw him approach the lepers and they're like, ah, stay away. Stay away. Unclean. They, they yeah. see them be healed. Okay. Um, and uh, and they see the guy return. and And then... The very next question they ask is, When do you think the kingdom of God is coming? (laughs) 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 Okay, what is the kingdom of God? Now let's just be let's just be really, let's be really because I think oftentimes we use these phrases over and over again and we begin to kind of think that there's something more than they are. I mean, it is more than it is, but it is, I mean, it's something great, but it's also something very much for the people of the scriptures. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about the 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 the, the kingdom of David. We're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah? yeah, the kingdom of David is the kingdom of heaven on earth. Okay, it is the place where God rules, where He is ultimately the king. Yeah, um, and when the people of uh, the Old Testament are looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, they're looking forward to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is at hand," Jesus says. Right? right, right, yeah. So now, so so now the healing of the lepers. I I just uh, thinking back to remember when uh, the the disciples of Saint John the Baptist go to Jesus and they say, "Are you the Messiah or not?" And what does he say? Well, everything I said I would do in Luke chapter four, with the enrolling of the scroll of Isaiah chapter sixty one, is happening. It's the Jubilee year, and I'm proclaiming it because I'm the king, right? And mm-hmm. it's all happening, right? The the blind see, the, the I wrote it down, Luke chapter 7, verse 22, if you want to write it down. Yeah, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. My God, the kingdom of heaven is here. here. Yeah. And yet, who are the blind? Who are the lepers? Who are the paralytics? It's the Pharisees and the Jews standing around who cannot, who are not walking with the Lord, who cannot see what he's doing, who have not come to faith in him, right? They have not entrusted themselves to him, which is the fundamental story of all of these passages now, from the time he was sitting at that guy, the ruler of the Jews at his table, having that banquet a few chapters ago to Mm -hmm. this point in the gospel, we've had a, a repetition of this question of who's going to have faith, right? We saw it. In, uh, in in chapter 17, verse 5, the apostles will say, give us, please give us faith because we know it's coming, right? And Jesus just spoken of at the end of chapter 16 about the resurrection, right? But then we have this thing in, in chapter 17, verse 19, with the with the leper that comes back. He says, your faith has healed you. And then again, in our passage today in chapter 18, verse 8, nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so, and so, all of this is going on, right? And we can, I can just put this back in the context of Exodus. All of this is going on, right? Pharaoh just got drowned. You just crossed the Red Sea. God, you just eat the manna. You just drink from the water. And you're asking, when the kingdom of God is gonna? Is the Lord with us? Are you serious? kidding me? The kingdom yeah. of God is, as Saint Porfirio says, is the life of the Holy Trinity, right? The kingdom, a kingdom, is a is. The society, right, which is bound together as one underneath the king, right? Well, St. Porphyrius is the, the kingdom of God, the church is, is God himself living in the life of the Holy Trinity, right? Bound together in, in the spirit, one God in three persons and living this life of, of communion according to the law of love. That is the kingdom of God. And when Jesus is present among us, that kingdom is made present among us yeah? And then everything is restored within the kingdom to its proper place, right? Skin is no longer leprous. Legs now walk because that's what they're designed to do, right? Kings that are righteous kings set their society, their kingdom in order. That's their job, right? A, a, A proper ruler sets his the, the, so the economy flourishes; that all the parts are working well. He sees where parts are working well, he makes them right again, and he puts them back into the communion with the rest of society, so that the society flourishes. Economy, the economy is growing, right? Right. A- in modern terms, right? So, in a similar way, Jesus comes and he goes about as the king, seeing where his kingdom is not working well, and he puts it in order. The blind see, the lame sure. walk, the leprous are cleansed, right? And now the Pharisees <laughs> are going. When's the kingdom going to come? Hello, blind, leprous, lame Pharisees. Okay. And they're walking with Jesus and that's what's, what's going on. And of course, the, in the midst of all of this, the, the disciples are watching this going, this is not going to go well with Jesus, right? He's, he's only making it worse for himself. And they know he's going to Jerusalem to die. It's, gonna, it's coming out more and more. And they're asking that the Lord to increase their faith. And now he goes and he says, he talks about what's, gonna, what's coming. Ultimately, and and now we read from chapter or verse twenty two, chapter seventy, verse twenty two through thirty seven about the coming of the Lord. Yeah, like yeah, about right the rapture, right? What's that?
1: Yeah, about the rapture, right?
0: No, this is yeah. So this is not <laughs> about the rapture. Okay, this has always been interpreted in terms of two major events. One is Jesus is coming to Jer- well, three major events. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem okay four major events Jesus is coming to Jerusalem and and maybe even more so regarding the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD Mm. okay that remember the gospel is being written not when it's being taught when when the gospel is happening happening. right it's being written later and and so so Luke brings out Jesus's words in terms not only of what has already taken place, but what is soon to take place, namely yeah. the, the coming of the Lord and the destruction of Jerusalem. Then, of course, it's lived out liturgically for us in this Advent coming up now, Advent season in which the Lord is coming to us. And at the end of time, all of these events which we which we know chronologically, the Lord knows as one. Right. Yeah. And so we have that there. And then of course, chapter 18, verse one, which is our gospel text today. that was a long way of going about your question.
1: Okay, now to look at the text that we have for today. Yes. I'm so intrigued by this. So a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was telling the parable of that, the steward, the dishonest steward. And now we have this unjust judge I mean, why is he using examples like that in his parables?
0: I think simply this, Annie, that if this is true about the unjust judge, how much truer can we say it about the just judge? Yeah. But there's a kernel, there's a wrinkle in here that the fathers of the church focus upon. Well while, while saying that, there's another wrinkle in here which, which connects us to Moses, and that is not so much a focus upon the judge, but a focus upon the widow right because mm. what is it what does the gospel tell us about this this widow it she's was a bothersome.
1: widow you got a nag god no. is this what she's works? a
0: nagger <laughs> she's constantly she won't let go right like give it she's up already. wearing him out she wore him out right she will not give up yeah. even though the situation looks to be uh impossible yeah and which is oftentimes our view of our situation we're in, and also ultimately, oftentimes our view of God, that yeah. that we project upon Him, the unjust judge, don't we? Oftentimes, which and we've been going about this theme a couple of times in the Old Testament too, when we we're looking at Amos and we we're looking at these guys Habakkuk saying, saying, look, it's not fair. I mean, the the poor are being enslaved and the rich are getting. Richer in terms of modern political, written the point getting poor, game, poor the is doesn't seem fair. And the ultimate answer, as we talked about over the last few weeks, is to entrust ourselves to the Lord, for He is the God of heaven and of earth, as we heard in the Psalms. And ultimately, He will be victorious, maybe not as we want Him to be, hmm. because our perception is not always pure, but as, yeah. as He knows is true and good for us. And so, this is where the This is where the church fathers go with this business. And I'll just share with you a bit of an extended quotation from St. Ephraim, because you'd rather hear from St. Ephraim than than from Father Hezekiah. Then I want to read you a quotation from the prayer of the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. St. Ephraim says this poetically, beautifully can be a little confusing at first read, but pay attention. How was the unjust judge immoral and wicked? How was the upright judge gracious and just? The first in his iniquity was not willing to vindicate the widow, and, his, and in his wickedness he was not willing to put her mind at rest. The justice of God knows how to vindicate, and his grace discerns how to give life. The iniquity of this wicked judge was contrary to the justice of God, and the wickedness of this rebel was, a, was in opposition to the grace of the gentle one. His wickedness, therefore, was stubbornness, but it dared to go against the fear of God. His boldness was stubborn, but it refused the lowly person. Then he's this and this. He says, These two were stubborn. So he says, Not only was he stubborn in his being is being unjust, but she was stubborn, he was stubborn in her stubborn prayer. Hell, yeah. These two were these two were stubborn. Both pers- b- oh, but pr- prayer was even more stubborn. <laughs> The persistence of the widow humiliated both the iniquity that was rebelling against God and the boldness that was behaving arrogantly towards man. She subjected them to her will so that they might provide her with a vindication over her adversary. Persistence transformed these two bitter branches and they bore sweet fruit that was against their nature. The iniquity of the judge brought about a righteous judgment and a just retribution for the falsely accused woman. His wickedness gave peace to the afflicted one, although iniquity does not know to judge, and the wickedness does not know how to how, how to give refreshment. Persistence forced these two evil and bitter branches to give good fruit against their nature. If we persist in prayer, we should be even more able to prevail on the grace and justice of God to give us fruit that agrees with their nature. Let justice, there. there's the thing you were asked earlier, right? What The just judge and the comparison. If this guy, well, then what can we say about God? Yeah. yeah. Let justice vindicate us and let grace refresh us. According to the fruit of justice is the just reward of the oppressed while the giving of refreshment to the afflicted is the fruit of grace. Okay. How beautiful uh, St. Ephraim writes, but I want to share with you then this beautiful prayer that the priest prays in the Byzantine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom every time he celebrates liturgy. You who have granted us to pray together in harmony and who promise that when two or three are gathered to call upon your name, you will give what they ask. Do you now fulfill what your servants ask? And Here's the key. So far as is good granting us in this world the knowledge of your truth and the world to come eternal life, yeah? Wow. And there's the yeah. thing. Conform us, Lord, to your will. Conform us to your justice. Conform us to your way of life, yes? For we have placed our trust in you. We have, like Israel at the Red Sea, been baptized into God and entrusted ourselves fully to him no matter the difficulties that come. Now, apply that to this story because around Jesus or the Pharisees, There are the sinners, there are the harlots, and all of this is going on, and the disciples are standing there asking him to increase their faith because they know that they're heading up to Jerusalem, yeah, and the only one in which they will will be able to find victory, the only one that they'll be able to find a way out of the evil which is to come is their faith in the Lord, but it's difficult to do. It's, and, and this is certainly what the church is placing before us as we now advance toward the Advent season. We advance from the time of the, of the cross um, that, that we just celebrated toward the coming of Christ uh, in the flesh, in the Feast of the Nativity, which is the same divine action of him coming to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which is about to happen in the gospel. The same that will happen when we prepare ourselves to meet our judge at the end of our life.
1: Yeah, that's so beautifully put, because I wanted to ask, and I think that you you kind of already answered the question, um, because I think a lot of people will read this and say, you know, they they read the part where it says, I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. And some people might sit there at mass and say, I've been praying persistently for years and don't feel like i've gotten an answer from god and wondering how they can square their own experience of of persistence in prayer with what we're hearing from jesus here but i guess maybe that's where jesus is going with this this last question nevertheless when the son of man comes will he find faith on earth i mean that's where we have to put our trust in the lord
0: yeah we have to be very careful now annie that we don't apply modern uh scientific uh, astrological, not astrological, astronomical visions to this text, because when sure. you read it, will he find faith on, faith on earth? That means when Jesus is up in the clouds, okay, and then we have the globe here with mm-hmm. the water and the land, will he find faith in the globe, right? This is not what she's talking about. The word in Hebrew here is eretz, the land, and the land specifically refers to the land of Israel. And more specifically to the land of the land, which is Jerusalem and the temple mount when, and and so Hmm. you have to understand from a gospel standpoint, Jesus is taught is, is about to come look at your, look at your gospel in chapter 18. Look at this chapter 22. And we're in Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. And just before chapter 22, he's, he's mixing it up in Jerusalem. So, so we're there. Yeah. You got to understand the gospel. Jesus is about to arrive. And so this, 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 this sense of it is happening now be ready, which is why we have in chapter 17 from verse 22 and following all of this stuff about it happened when they least expected. Hmm. Yeah. Jesus is about to come to Jerusalem and he's about to gain victory over the evil one, but not as man perceived it to be. Yeah, not as we hoped it would be or expected it to be. They drive out the Romans and declare, you know, the human, uh, you know, like, like Jehovah's Witnesses on their magazines with the lion and the everybody sleeping together and hanging out together and drinking from soda cans together and all that stuff. Not at all. No, it's a different perception. It's the perception of God, his vision. And let us then in faith entrust ourselves to him in the difficulties which are to come. And by the way, I'll just mention this now and I'll mention it in the weeks coming and months coming. And that is, there is traditionally a, 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 a fast that the church gives us for 40 days in preparation for Christmas. Did you know that? And, and always fasting brings about in us, it brings it like boiling to the top, all of our sins, all of the difficulties of our life. The challenge will come for those who take seriously our approach to, to Bethlehem, our approach to Jerusalem, our approach to the Lord. And yet, those who have faith in him and trust ourselves to him will be victorious with him.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, that is essentially the message that we get in the second reading about remaining faithful to what you have learned and believed.
0: Yep. It'd be, and and, and I, yeah, let's, let's go and read it. Second, second Timothy, chapter three. I'm not going to say much about it because it's so oftentimes the epistle just confirms everything that we just said. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse 14 through chapter four, verse two. Right. Second, Timothy chapter three,
1: 14.
0: Let All them right, find it go. here. Second, Tim, here we go. Almost at the end of your Bibles. Second, Timothy chapter three. All right, any verse 14, right?
1: 14. Correct. Okay. St. Paul writes beloved remain faithful to what you have learned and believed because you know, from whom you learned it. And that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures which are capable of giving you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that one who belongs to God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingly power, proclaim the word, be persistent, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, convince, reprimand, encourage through all patience and teaching.
0: Yeah, let me just give, before I say what I wanted to say about the text, um, that for our Protestant brothers and sisters that are out there, this is a common verse that is memorized to beat Catholics over the head who say that we hold also to tradition that is mm-hmm. the not only the written word of god but the oral tradition also as we know from second thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. So if we're going to bash people ahead with verses, right? Which we shouldn't do because it's not helpful. But so brethren, stand firm and hold to the tradition, which you have been taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter or epistle, right? So hold to both that which is spoken and that which uh, there's these things. This is why, by the way, where does it say in the scriptures that the rock followed Israel? Where does it say it? Show me before St. Paul said it. St. Paul said it because he was a traditionalist and he was holding on to the oral tradition and then eventually wrote it down, okay? But prior to St. Paul writing it down, were the people of God not to believe it? No, it's not true until St. Paul said it was true. Then the rock followed them Once St. Paul said it. No, I mean, give me a break. <laughs> okay, so so here we are. My point about this is that in 2 Timothy, with St. Paul traditionally writing this letter to to, to his disciple, Timothy, that the scripture, the New Testament was in large part not written at this point. Right. So when he talks about scripture being sufficient and complete for the, oh man, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's not, he's not even talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Was well, the Old Testament sufficient? And no Protestant's going to agree with that, right? So don't cherry pick a verse out of context. And you know what the context is? The context is the living memory and faith of the church. Established by Jesus Christ. That's the only context in which the scriptures are to be read. And if they're read outside of that context, they're misread, abused. I think about these churches, Bible church, down the road. They stole it. It's not theirs. This was written by the church for the family. And when it's read outside the family, of course you're going to misuse it and abuse it. It's not to say that the scriptures aren't valuable. For God's sake, I hope you know that I love the scriptures for my Protestant brothers and sisters that are in this Bible study regularly every week. I love the scriptures and I love you, which is why you stop protesting the church established by Jesus Christ. And if you are still protesting things that the church teaches, call me up, my cell phone number, 703-504-8733, 703-504-8733. And let's talk about the issues which are still outstanding to you of which you're protesting the church established by Jesus Christ so we can stop the protest and reunite you to the body of Christ fully. So we may not be divided from one another. That's my side note. Back to Sunday Golf Reflections at the ICC. Be persistent, whether it is convenient or it is inconvenient. There it is. That's the message which the church gives us today. To be persistent, to ask for the mercy of God, the difficulties that we face. So we're making our way toward Christ toward Jerusalem, toward Bethlehem, toward the end of our life in which we'll close our eyes this world and open them to the next to see the face of our best friend. Be persistent and never lose hope. Even though the things around you, the Malachis are picking things off behind you, life's falling apart. Be persistent for you've been baptized into Christ and he's not going to cross you and not take you across the Jordan River. He's not going to take you across the Red Sea. He's going to take you from death to life itself to christ our god be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages amen thank you for joining us for the institute of catholic cultures sunday gospel reflections podcast the institute of catholic culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge i invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.